0: Hi, and welcome to The Horn, a podcast from the International Crisis Group. I'm Alan Boswell. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Solomon Baldo, the Executive Director of the Sudan Transparency and Policy Tracker. In the past, he has worn many hats, including with the UN, many international NGOs, and once upon a time here with us at Crisis Group. As we reach the six-month mark of the terrible war in Sudan, we speak with Solomon about where the conflict stands now and where we go from here. Solomon, thanks for taking the time to speak with us. Thank you for having me. So we're at a bit of a juncture point. Sudan has now been at war for six months or almost six months. In some ways, the Dust has settled, I would say, on the war. I think it's close to a sort of worst-case scenario we imagined. We have Khartoum itself collapsed and contested. The rest of Sudan is divided with an army stronghold in the east and an RSF stronghold in the west. But you also have so many other armed groups controlling territory entering the fray. If you were to describe to someone six months ago what the war looked like at this stage, what would you tell them about where we're at now and where things stand?
1: We had our worst fears when tensions were rising between the Sudan armed forces and the rebel support forces, because it was quite predictable that if they went to war against each other, which they were responding to do, it would be exactly where we are at, you know, a situation where they are hurting each other badly, but destroying the country in the process, its infrastructure, displacing millions of its people, killing thousands in the crossfire, basically with a conflict that neither of them controls. It's a very sad situation, but it was quite predictable from the onset of this conflict.
0: And how would you describe the lay of the land militarily at this stage?
1: It's basically Khartoum has suffered most of the physical and and humanitarian cost of this war, with the two parties engaged in an urban warfare, the army relying uh, absolutely on the air force and artillery, which are support uh, weapons for uh, you know engaging basically a force of an infantry, which is a uh, motorized, mobilized, and, and uh, you know fast moving sort of uh, guerrilla fighter type of uh, force, which is that of the rapid support forces, and therefore. The situation hasn't changed and hasn't moved much from the onset of the war on April 15th, which is that, you know, army garrisons in Khartoum are all under siege and the rapid support forces occupying most of the three cities, the three, you know, twin cities that, that constitute the capital of Sudan. But in the process of trying to break that siege, Sudanese forces is shelling and bombarding residential areas, industrial areas, commercial areas, rapid support forces responding by directing artillery fire to government army bases that are still in the south, hold and in the process doing their share of destruction uh, of, of neighborhoods. A future of this war which hasn't happened to this scale in recent memory I think in Africa, in African wars, is the level of looting and abuse of civilian populations, largely by the rapid support forces, which have occupied private residences, looted all valuables, engaged in a campaign of uh, uh, carjacking, Thousands, I would say tens of thousands of vehicles have uh, left Khartoum to areas uh, of uh, constituencies of the fighting forces, of the support forces. You know, it tells you also about them. you know, the the systematic impoverishment uh, of the uh, population as the war continues.
0: Hmm. So we have, you know, the two main warring parties, which were both... Obviously, part of the uh, official security apparatus when the war started with the official army, but also the the rapid support forces, which which was a formal paramilitary. In the six months of war, um, obviously, we've seen both of those two warring parties sort of evolve throughout this war. They've taken heavy casualties on both sides and are obviously trying to rally Sudanese to their each respective side. So I'll start first with the RSF and then I'll I'll go to the army side. What exactly is the RSF at this stage now?
1: The RSF is, uh, you know, relying almost entirely at this stage on tribal mobilization uh, of uh, clans, of the Rizigat uh, tribesmen, in Western Sudan and beyond the border in Chad and in Niger, in particular from the Sahel region. And, and the tribal mobilization brings uh, groups of fighters that are of traditional uh, type, obeying only to their immediate commanders. And therefore, there are blocks of these fighters of the rebel support forces that are not necessarily coordinated or under a firm, you know, chain of command from the highest echelon of the, of the command of the Rapid Support Forces. The main motivation for these tribal warriors is the attraction uh, of looting, uh, particularly in Khartoum, where, you know, groups that have joined uh, under this call for solidarity, tribal and ethnic solidarity, you know, these groups have really engaged in systematic looting of property and, 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 you know, the savings of generations of the Sudanese. They engage in systematic abuse of civilians, which tells us a lot about the lack of uh, formation of a modern force in these support forces despite all the appearance and the trappings of a regular force. But in reality, this force has not been raised on on proper doctrine, proper respect of the laws of war. International humanitarian and human rights laws are, are ignored by fighters of the European support forces.
0: Mm. I'm wondering how you think people should think about the RSF at this stage. Should they think of it as a as a force that is under the command of Hemeti uh, and his and his family? Um, or does it appear more at this stage, like a sort of free for all collection of tribal militias and looters? I'm just wondering how we should think of RSF at this stage in the war? The
1: different units of the RSF, as far as they can, uh, you know, track from my monitoring and talking to people, for example, in different areas in uh, the five states of uh, Darfur, different units obey to their immediate commanders. They do not care much about w- what, in terms of instructions from you know, the higher-up command you know, in, 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 the, in, in the echelons of the rapid support forces. And that explains to us why the conflict is taking a life of its own in many instances that undermine the very cohesion and, and integrity of the rapid support forces. Uh, for instance, a conflict that uh, happened in August between two constituencies, uh, that are supportive of the support support forces and providing fighters for it. Uh, I'm referring to the Salamat and to the Beni Halba of South Darfur. After a a local incident of looting by the Salamat fighters, uh, Beni Halba mobilized their own fighters and engaged in fighting with Salamat. So in this instance, we have, you know, RSF fighters fighting other RSF fighters. And the RSF as a force, trying to mediate and, and, and trying to contain the violence. This violence has taken an ugly ethnic dimension with indiscriminate attacks by both sides on civilian communities, Beni Halba and also in, among the Salamat. Therefore, the RSF is not even able to contain and to control and discipline entire blocks of its fighters who are now engaged in a more than a month's deadly warfare at a local level that was triggered by a single incident of, of looting that went bad. Therefore, you know, that, that shows the gradual disintegration of the chain of command of the rapid support forces.
0: Now, Hemeti himself appears to have remained sort of bogged down in the cartoon theater of war, where I think it, it looks like he's remained very focused. Would you say that the local campaigns in Darfur, local military campaigns, do they look to you locally directed or, or centrally directed at this point?
1: They are centrally directed in the sense that the RSF as, as, a, as a, a body is seeking full control over the historic region of Darfur. That, that's to say the five states of, of the Darfur region. is uh, Darfur is the ethnic constituency of, of most of the rapid support forces, that's to say of the Rizigat people of East Darfur, and therefore no significant fighting has occurred there. We know what happened in, in West Darfur with the massive campaign of ethnic cleansing by RSF fighters and allied militias against the local Masalit. So the, the control of the RSF over West Darfur has come at a very high human rights and humanitarian cost and the killing of thousands and the displacements of hundreds of thousands of the indigenous Masalit population of West Darfur. Central Darfur has also suffered similar indiscriminate attacks on civilians in the attempts of the rebel support forces to you know, to take control of Zalingye and, and, and central Darfur. Niala is next on their target. This is the capital of South Darfur. It's a large city of a diverse population and besieged by the Rapid Sapo forces with repeated attempts to overrun it and armed soon Sundair, which is pushing back. This is, of course, forcing tens of thousands of the inhabitants of Niala into forced displacement. Many went to East Darfur. Also, thousands crossed over into South Sudan and into neighboring Uganda. The situation in North Darfur is relatively contained for the moment, but it would be, it would be a matter of time once uh, you know the, the RSF is able to take over Niala uh, before they you know put their uh, you know their uh, targets on on, uh, uh,
0: on Al fashir and, and on North Darfur. Maybe a final question on Darfur before we we, we move on to the um, the Sudanese army side of things. Does it look to you like the the old war from you know twenty years ago is is re erupting? Um, and this is you know this is heading very much in a direction where. It does look like the, the old conflict lines of the Arab-Sahelian groups on one side and the non-Arab groups, namely, mostly the, the Fur, the Masalit, the Zahawa, finding themselves on the other side and in conflict. Is this the direction you see this heading?
1: Well, the Darfur uh, armed movements, which is uh, the Sudan Liberation Movement, faction of minni minawi and then two other smaller factions of the SLM, and also the Justice and Equality Movements, Arm movements that have been basically of little military significance, representing little threat to the uh, might of the rapid support forces. And they have narrow constituencies, you know, they are mostly, you know, this, this all, uh, arm movements that are signatory of the Yuba Peace Agreement are from the, the Gawa people and, and, and uh, of uh, very, Uh, reduced uh, population constituency uh, called the Zagawa, represent a small minority in the overall population uh, of Darfur. There is no recognition of these armed movements as liberators or as protectors of the population in in, in Darfur, and therefore the population in Darfur is left defenseless. You know, the armed movements, signatory of the Yuba Peace Agreement, have opted to stay so-called neutral in, in this fight. For me, it's just a matter of time before they find themselves engaged, in you know, fighting RSF units, probably due to localized unintended triggers here and there that will, you know, extend the fighting to, to these groups. Therefore, the, the, the main tragedy in Darfur is that the population is finding itself without any defenses. It cannot rely on, on the army, which is confining itself to its garrisons in the major towns, and it cannot rely on the the Darfur armed movements. We do have the Sudan Liberation Movement faction of Abdel Wahid, Mohammed Noor, and it is in control of parts of, of Eastern Jabal Marra area and trying to, you know, basically prove, you know, some level of defending the interest of population in, in the areas under its control. But again, you know, it, it's it's a matter of time before they get drawn also in this conflict.
0: Mm. So... I think there was a good primer on both in what's happening in Darfur, but also on some of the internal dynamics within uh, the RSF and some of its internal fragmentation um, as well, and questions about its coherence at this point. And now, many of those same questions seem to apply to the Sunni's armed forces, which you might expect to be more united. But is you know is a sort of coalition at this point too. You've obviously had the Sunni's army itself you know struggled to mount a ground game and being increasingly reliant on Islamists ex officials and, and paramilitaries and militias prevalent during the Bashir era, which looks very much to many Sudanese like a, a counter revolution. Um, you also have the Islamists uh, suspicious that the Sunni's armed forces is essentially using them as as, as cannon fodder. Plus, you know, there are many other Sudanese who, you know, because of the abuses of the RSF, including some resistance committees, now supporting the, the army against the RSF. So, so what exactly is the, the coalition behind the Sudanese armed forces at this point?
1: Sudan armed forces are in, in a very bad shape because for the best part of 30 years, you know, under regime of Omar al-Bashir and specifically from 2013 onward, they were entirely relying on the uh, rapid support forces uh, the uh, you know the fighting uh, arm of, of the you know of the regular army Therefore, the infantry, the foot soldiers, the counter-insurgency specialized forces, the army spent heavily on training, equipping, arming, and, and you know, providing for all the needs of the rapid support forces and ensuring that their command, uh, you know, uh, which should they clan of the Degalu family of Ahimetti, his brother, Abd Degalu, who is also the, the, the overall operational commander, that they remain happy, that they have a share of the, you know, the control of the country's natural resources and, and, and public funds, in a way similar to the army. So this reliance on the rapid support forces, and, and the proxy force for, for, for fighting battles, has really exposed the Sudanese army to the situation where it is now, which is it is outgunned and it is outnumbered in the capital and in all other garrison areas uh, across uh, Sudan. And, and therefore, uh, RSF is able to put the Sudanese army units on the defensive, besiege um, army, uh, you know, headquarters and, and, and uh, garrisons. and and inflict heavy uh, casualties on uh, the SAF. To compensate for these losses, the Sudan armed forces had to rely on volunteer fighters from the Sudan Islamist movement who were, you know, and are currently increasingly public about their engagement in the fight on the side of the Sudan armed forces, but for their own agenda. and and also the Sudan armed forces revived the special units of the former National Intelligence and the Security Services, uh, in addition for making call to civilians uh, to join the army, you know, in in a call for mobilization across Sudan. And this uh, general mobilization of the population is sadly happening along ethnic lines, similar to what the mobilization in the RSF, uh, you know, that is underway as well. It doesn't bode well for Sudan at all, that the population is being uh, trained and armed to, to use weapons along ethnic lines on both sides of the conflict. This is, you know, a recipe for a disaster, that if not contained by an immediate end to the current war it could really lead to further disintegration
0: uh, of Sudan. If the Sunni's armed forces is on its back foot to the degree you've described, why has it been so resistant to pressure to really join serious peace talks to end this war?
1: There is a history of the Sudanese armed forces you know acting like you know the uh, uh, a natural aristocracy you know they, they see themselves as the the best uh, of the best in you know, in, in the society and a lot of pride in the you know in the profession of the arms and therefore it will be humiliating to them to go to negotiations for cessation of hostilities or permanent ceasefire and a peace agreement on a footing of equality with those who they qualify as rebellious a unit uh, of the army that uh, has went, you know, against it. And therefore, I believe that the army has been and is still seeking a decisive, you know, shift in the military situation on the ground to its advantage to come to such negotiations from position of force and, and therefore be able to impose its conditions and not be, you know, forced to accept the terms of the rebel Support Forces Uh, for concluding a ceasefire
0: or or a peace agreement. But do you see any sign that SAF will be able to, to turn the military tide in its favor?
1: It's not clear to me how they will be able to do that. It is also clear that the SAF is not at all sensitive to the high cost to the population and to the country that its reluctance to engage in serious talks to end the conflict is causing, you know, in terms of of, of impact for the population, for the country infrastructure, for the economy of Sudan, the high humanitarian cost in terms of, you know, the the figures that we are seeing of displacement, of epidemics killing, you know, thousands of Sudanese and, and all the people who are killed in the crossfire. There is little sensitivity, there is little empathy with all those victims. And when Al-Bohan speaks, it's always about, you know, victory and the Sudanese army parading to basically crushing the RSF without uh,
0: any uh, attention to the cost in the meantime. Mm. Now, y- you mentioned the the risk of ongoing disintegration. The longer this, this conflict goes on, at, at its current trajectory, if, we, if there isn't some sort of resolution um, on the horizon, uh, w- w- where do you see Sudan heading as a, as a polity?
1: It's a scary scenario that if we are not able to, to bring this to an end, the current fighting, Sudan is going on a path to state failure and disintegration. This is clearly, you know, happening even as we speak now. People who have been displaced and are now, you know, refugees in Egypt, in Chad, in you know, East Africa, South Sudan, and so on. This is the core of the Sudanese society. It, it is its writers, its artists, its musicians, its politicians, civil society actors. Uh, entire communities are up to uproot it. And, and the two parties don't seem to care about any of this. So, you know, what is the state failure if not, you know, this uprooting of an entire society and, you know, all, all the risk to the social fabric of Sudan that remains via, you know, this ongoing ethnically based mobilization of the population for further fighting. Therefore, I believe that the commanders of the support forces and Sudan armed forces are going to be responsible for the, you know, the failure of Sudan as a state and and, and disintegration of its society.
0: Mm. I I know we're only six months into the conflict, but do, do you think it's fair to say that Sudan has collapsed already as a state? we don't see any
1: signs of a functioning state. You know, the main achievement of, of, of the, the de facto government of the coup d'etat since the war started has been the opening uh, of a factory to provide, you know, passports to stranded Sudanese. And, and you see the vice chairman of the sovereignty council proudly inaugurating uh, this facility. Uh, And, you know, whatever else is happening, you know, is basically done by volunteers from professional associations and neighborhood committees, resistance committees, emergency response rooms set up by youth associations in, in different areas, local ordinary people volunteering to service displaced people who fled to areas less affected by the conflict. So the state is basically registering quite a stark absence. The National Police Force hasn't been, you know, seen in, in, in areas that are under even firm government control in different parts of Sudan. You know, when it is deployed, it continues the same practices of attacking civilians and trying to suppress their free speech. And Therefore, you know Sudan army, Sudan ruling military security elites have learned nothing from this war and are continuing the same practices as if to say, "We are here to stay and we will be in your future it's 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 an alarming situation, and uh, it calls uh, to mind you know what happened in Somalia following uh, Siad Berri's, uh, you know uh, episode
0: mm. now. If there's sort of one pocket, um, one major pocket in Sudan where the war hasn't spread to in a major degree yet, it's to the east, um, and I suppose to the north as well. Um, But we have, you know, had flare-ups of violence, for instance, in in Port Sudan. Um, We've also had Hemeti vow to take the war there. Do you think the east can stay stable? Can the army manage to, you know, replicate something like a rump state with a de facto capital in in Port Sudan. What do you see as the risks of this war or just violence and instability itself um, moving to the east as well?
1: The risk to the east is from the mobilization of tribal fighters because the call of the army for citizens to volunteer is encouraging uh, different ethnic groups to send young people to army garrisons for training and for, you know, the learning uh, about weapons and their use. And once uh, a particular community, you know, sends some fighters uh, for, for, for training, the others would do the same so that they're not left behind and uh, their use are not trained. So that's, that's the real danger because there are underlying ethnic tensions among the major you know, ethnic groups in, in, in eastern Sudan that have calmed over time since 2020. but they can flare up again, but this time there will be thousands of young men and you know who have received basic military training and, and, and on weapon use and so on. This is happening also across other areas. in Blue Nile. the different ethnic groups are rushing to join the army call for, volunteers, with each keeping in mind their own local issues with other communities and ethnic groups. Of course, northern Sudan, the northern state and river Nile States have not been much affected by the conflict, except with the arrival of thousands and tens of thousands of displaced from Khartoum to these areas. And the fact that the state governments are not in receipt of any uh, you know, the, the Sudan has a federal system that is uh, federal only in name. Everything is centralised, and therefore the war has created a situation where the state uh, governments are not uh, resourced to respond to the needs of the population, or even pay salaries of workers. You know, in their different states, central Sudan, you know, Jazeera, White Nile, similar states are also relatively stable, but they are suffering from lack, you know, lack of any government uh, resources to respond to the increasing needs uh, of the popula- local populations, but also people who are you know, hosted uh, by the uh, respective you know, federal states. This is a situation which is increasing the level of suffering uh, and of the humanitarian cost of the war beyond uh, imagination.
0: Now, we haven't talked about the SPLM North yet, or at least much yet. This is the SPLM North under Abdelaziz Al-Hilu, um, which has, you know, maintained control of the of much of the Nuba Mountains for a long time and, and parts of southern Blue Nile. Um, it has been on the march, sort of retaking territory. What do you see as Abdelaziz Al-Hilu's uh, strategy right now?
1: I believe, you know, from what I can surmise, the thinking in the SPLM North, Abdelaziz Al-Hilu, is that the rapid support forces have taken multiple uh, towns and overrun gov- government army posts in, in South Kurdufan And therefore, the area under control of Abdulaziz Al-Hilu, SPLM Abdulaziz Al-Hilu, appeared vulnerable from this advance of the rapid support forces. I think that, uh, you know, the thinking for them is that the army wouldn't be capable to contain and repulse the advance of the rebel support forces in the nuba mountains and therefore they should step in and fill that vacuum by taking army garrisons that have been evacuated because the soldiers have been drawn to you know reinforce uh, other uh, stations that are under immediate uh, threat from advance of the rebel support forces Uh, by doing so the SPLM North is actually complicating matters for, you know, civilian populations who fled the fighting in Khartoum to Nuba Mountains, because there was a relative calm in that area, in Kadugli, in Delange, in in other uh, major uh, towns and and rural areas of of South Kordofan.
0: Now, we We haven't talked much about um, outside actors uh, yet, which is maybe uh, remarkable. But obviously, both of these main warring parties have major outside backers. I'm wondering how much you blame outside states, especially um, Arab powers, for for fueling this conflict right now.
1: Well, uh, you know, uh, as background from 2015, Sudan armed forces and the rapid support forces were deployed to the war in Yemen. Uh, on the side of the Saudi-led coalition against the Houthi rebels in that country. Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates were the paymasters of both the Sudan armed forces and the rapid support forces for the mercenary services they were providing to the uh, two kingdoms in, 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 in crushing, you know, the population of, of Yemen in the process of fighting the houthis And that, you know, influx of, of resources, of, of money to the Sudan armed forces and rebel support forces was the key factor in the strengthening of their financial and corporate networks And the empowerment of the two forces to really, you know, try to derail the transitional government from 2019 to 2021, which they succeeded to do jointly in 2021. So there is already a history of involvement of these two countries in particular in supporting the military against the democratic aspirations of the population of Sudan. Now that they went to war, you know, they have all this, you know, infrastructural and military capacity that they gained from their autonomous influx of resources from the two kingdoms. And at the same time, it appears that the United Arab Emirates is directly... Uh, you know, seeking to support the rapid support forces uh, through the uh, western border was shared according to credible media reports and, and, uh, you know, evidence that have been displayed there. This is a serious interference in in, in this war that will risk, you know, adding to its impact and and its cost to the population and, and to the country. At another level, you know, the Wagner Group uh, mercenaries were and are, uh, you know, deployed in in Sudan. They uh, were in business partnership and, you know, political partnership with both the Sudan Armed Forces and the Republic Support Forces. They are more likely to be engaged with the Republic Support Forces because they have the same structure of uh, mafia, organized as a private, you know, uh, army uh, and engage in extensive uh, illicit financial and corporate activities. And therefore, they, there is evidence also of the uh, uh, pro network in Central Africa Republic supporting the war effort of the uh, rapid support forces by supplying weapons and, and uh, munitions. So, you know, the longer the war continues, the negative involvement of these external actors is going to add fuel to the fire and, you know, cause more damage and destruction to the Sudan and its people. And, and, and that's that's one major reason why we are all calling for uh, an immediate end uh, to the conflict uh, in Sudan.
0: What do you see as the main motivation of the main outside actors, the Emiratis, the Egyptians, the Turks, uh, for instance?
1: Well, uh, behind the Sudanese army and and security apparatus is the support of the Sudan Islamist movement. This is the chapter in Sudan of the International Muslim Brotherhood Movement. And therefore, you know, countries like Turkey or Qatar are sympathetic to this ideological political Islam uh, group and sudan's islamist movement has historic extensive links to the similar groups in in, in qatar and in, in turkey and the interest of this country is therefore to be in support of the army and, and of those now who are sustaining the army's military effort to a large extent the Islamists of sudan for Egypt and the Saudi Arabians, the, the concern is that the return of the Islamists to power in Sudan, which they seem to, to be seeking through this support to the army, would mean that Sudan would again become a regional hub for violent extremist groups of, of the Islamist brand, and therefore a threat to their regimes in, in Egypt and to to the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. And that's why we see these two countries, although they support prominent role for the army in the tra- transition, they are also trying to separate you know put pressure on the Sudan armed forces command to wean itself from the influence of Sudan Islamist movement for the emirates they decided to go all the way by directly supporting the counter force as an antidote to the Islamist
0: influence in Sudan so that takes us I think to the diplomacy, or one might say lack of diplomacy. Um, I'd say six months in, there's been intolerable inaction um, in terms of diplomatic and peace efforts on Sudan. How do you assess the, the current state of, of diplomacy? And, and what do you think it will take to move towards any sort of serious peace efforts? As you said, Sudan is, you know, disintegrating fast and, and time is not on its side.
1: Well, I mean, uh, this is an apt description of the, you know, lack of progress on on the search for solutions by all mediation platforms. We have several of them. They are all talking about coordination, but little is being done in actual progress towards integration or coordination, close coordination among the different mediation efforts. The Yedda platform, which is facilitated by the, the Saudis and the Americans, is really focused on the military side of things uh, with the ambition of getting the belligerents to agree on, on a, a sustainable observable ceasefire uh, to allow the deployment of humanitarian efforts it has been suspended from mid june actually because the belligerents have shown themselves you know lacking in political will to implement, you know, earlier uh, agreements of uh, cessation of hostilities for that purpose. Similarly, you know, the AU and the IGAD processes, uh, which are uh, complementary and acting as one, initially expressed interest in uh, convening the Sudanese uh, civilians for, uh, you know, for for a political process to, to end the conflict. However, the initial steps taken in that direction were not quite reassuring and raised concern among Sudanese civic actors and political actors that the AU is going to revert to its, uh, you know, uh, strategy that didn't work before of bringing everyone under the tent, including uh, members of the uh, Islamist movement, who everyone is seeing as responsible for, uh, you know, triggering this conflict and, you know, sustaining it. And also, you know, they wanted to bring representative of the Sudan armed forces and reference support forces. Uh, but when it became clear that this was their plan, you know, the outcry was such that this is all on hold now. Egypt's initiative for Sudan neighbors appeared more focused on trying to contain the impact of the war on neighboring countries through the recognition of the legitimacy of the Sudan armed forces as the, you know, probably, you know, the remaining guarantor of, uh, you know, integrity of the state in, in Sudan. However, that mechanism, again, beyond uh, meeting a couple of times and having a ministerial mechanism meeting in, in Shad, uh, you know, hasn't shown what the plan is. There is an obvious lack of strategy in all these three platforms with regard to what is next and there is a total deficit of political will from all the facilitators in, in all three tracks to really apply more you know, consistent and sustained pressures on the parties to force them to the table and to, to force them to end the conflict. What is needed is more energy, more political will, more coordination uh, among these actors. In the absence of this strategy, it is Sudanese civic actors who are stepping to the fore and saying that, you know, we we want to be the ones uh, deciding what the political outcome or the political solution should be for this conflict. And there are efforts that are underway uh, in that direction.
0: Mm. What what's the status of getting civil actors to agree on a on a common platform? Obviously, it's unreasonable to expect you know all, all Sudanese civilians to to all agree. But there have been uh, quite a few initiatives to create um, uh, you know broader tents um, that that can be taken into a political process. What's the what's the status of that right now?
1: there is now ongoing discussions among multiple uh, approaches multiple actors who are working on unifying the uh, participation and platforms of civilians i expect that within coming weeks and uh, not months in the coming weeks there will be a materialization of this uh, rapprochement between multiple initiatives in the form of an in person meeting in a regional capital to you know unify the negotiating position uh, of the civic actors and and political actors into one, uh, you know, statement that really articulates what civilians want to see for, you know, what is required to end the conflict, address its immediate uh, consequences, address also the underlying causes in regard to, you know, the dysfunction of the military security establishment and therefore the necessary reform of that establishment. Questions of justice and transitional justice and and ending the, you know, the long history of impunity for serious crimes in, in, in Sudan, addressing also the needs for rehabilitation, reconstruction of all that has been destroyed in the course of this war.
0: So we're basically out of time, um, but I wanted to ask you um, also specifically about this uh, difficult question about Darfur. Um, Khartoum might be the first and main theater of the war, but Darfur uh, has perhaps received the, the the brunt of the fighting, if that's even possible, given, given what uh, Khartoum itself has suffered. How do you uh, think about the question of what can be done to uh, mitigate the situation or um, or stop the, the violent spiral in Darfur, if not resolve it, um, wh- while this broader national civil war is going on? How do you, you know, do you have any ideas on what can be done about Darfur right now?
1: The sad thing is that, you know, in all three m- main uh, mediation efforts, there is no special uh, provision or platform to discuss the issue of Darfur and look for solutions for the very complex uh, violence that is occurring there again for me this is a, you know a failure you know to, to protect uh, and a failure to you know to assume responsibility for, for, from the international community for, for the massive human rights and humanitarian violations occurring there. And until this is addressed, the sad reality that, you know, the the population of Darfur and indeed of Sudan writ large is going to be one of being abandoned by the rest of the world, you know, and and, and left to the mercy of of these cruel, you know, military actors and and militias and armed movements that are now, you know, setting the place on fire and, and destroying its people it's 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 a situation where you know it's again civic actors are the ones who are raising the voices and organizing uh, to push back uh, against destruction and its consequences
0: thank you solomon for all your time um, and for and for coming on the podcast
1: thank you for having me again bye bye
0: Thanks for listening. The Horn is a podcast from the International Crisis Group. I'm Alan Boswell. To learn more about Crisis Group or read our reports, go to crisisgroup.org. This episode was produced by Mae Francis and Ida Holly Nambi.